Oh, if you're in Amsterdam, you have to go to the Albert Kuip Markt, like mm -hmm. Albert Kuip, it's C-U-Y-P. And that's where uh, you have this big market. It's like cheap clothing and cheap food. And you have uh, the Stroopwafels and also Puffertjes. My local guide friend Jody van Angelsdorp Gastelars joins me in this episode to share a bit about Dutch culture, history, and international foodie treats. With a degree in microbiology, Jody has an unlikely background for a tour guide. So I was sure to have her share how she made the bridge from biology studies at university to leading tours for Rick Steves Europe all around the continent. We discuss King's Day, Amsterdam's biggest festival of the year, and since the Netherlands is such an expensive country, I grill Jodi on some of the budget tips that she can share so we can enjoy the best of Amsterdam's sights, nightlife, and activities on a budget. This episode of Andy Steve's Travel is brought to you by my new guidebook, Andy Steve's Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. I break down everything you need to know to have an unforgettable three-day trip in some of our favorite cities without breaking the bank. You can read up about the top sites, restaurants, and nightlife, as well as tips for how to get off the beaten path and experience the city like a local. Pick up your copy today on andysteves.com, Amazon, or in your local bookstore, and let us know what you think. Sharing tips, tricks, and tales from around the globe, this is Travel for the Next Generation. You're listening to the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. All right, guys, today we have a very special guest, Jody, dialing in from the Netherlands. Um, Jody's joining me, calling in from Harlem. Um, she is a local tour guide. I met her because she works for my dad's company, Rick Steves Europe, and she was uh, brought on to the team in an interesting way. So we're excited to to share her story and give uh, a little bit about her background, um, some on Amsterdam, Harlem, and also how to experience the Netherlands on a budget. So Jody, thanks so much for joining me. I'm excited to have you here oh thank you for having me all right so first off please 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 help us uh pronounce your name jody van engelsdorp gestalars very good well jody van engelsdorp gestalars i mean it's a good try <laughs> no, say good. that three you times say, fast <laughs> no you say jody like yoda there you go like <laughs> yodi because it's spelled like jody for us americans but uh but it's a soft j huh yeah great so give us a little bit about your background because you definitely didn't study to be a guide from day one right you have a completely different background um a lot of our listeners are just doing the the nine to five and always looking for ways to get away from that and move into more full-time travel um you were able to do that from a completely different background so share with us what did you studying what was your profession before you started getting into guiding ah, okay yes um well so i studied microbiology which has nothing to do with traveling whatsoever and i was working as a waitress as a side job in a indonesian restaurant in harlem uh where yes the 21 day tour of rick steve's always comes there with a group to eat there and after that they have a local guide showing them around and a local guide, he wanted to become a tour guide. So he needed to find a new local guide. And he asked me, which was just luck. I think it was just pure luck. Sometimes you need to have luck. And um, yeah, so he asked me and I said, yes, of course. So I became the local guide of your dad's company um, in Harlem. And then later on, I was like, oh, I really want to be a tour guide because it seemed like so much fun. So the first year I 
when I was working as a research assistant in the lab, I just assisted one family tour and I just loved it even more. And then slowly on, I've started doing more tours every year. And then, yeah, now I'm a tour guide, which is really good. And my last winter was the first winter I just took off. So I traveled everywhere. For That's right. Years. You have all sorts of photos um, posted. I mean, I, <laughs> I'd love to uh, to ch- spend more time ch- talking about that. But today we got to talk about the Netherlands, Amsterdam, Harlem. And uh, what a fascinating story the Netherlands has. I mean, you know, we won't get too deep into the history, but the Netherlands was one of the first world powers. And you have all sorts of influences uh, today that you can see in the Netherlands. You mentioned that you you work at an Indonesian restaurant. Why was that? Because you can have some delicious Indonesian cuisine uh, when you're visiting the Netherlands in Harlem, in Amsterdam. But I'm wondering why cuisine from around the world there uh, in a tiny uh, sea level country? Well, of course, Europe used to have a lot of colonies everywhere around the world. Yeah, you had the giant ships, colonizers traveling. (laughs) And the Netherlands was very good in colonizing the world. And they had Indonesia. And uh, so that's why we have all the Indonesian goodies in Mm -hmm. our country. And it's delicious because you can have, uh, what is it, nazi ramas um, is one of the dishes that I absolutely love. You got these um, all sorts of different flavors, rice and meat-based dishes that come out. And you can do, uh, what is it, the rice stoffel, which is the full-on table of rice is how it translates directly with all sorts of dishes of, you know, various tastes and flavors. But the nazi ramas is kind of like the poor man's mix where they just... <laughs> kind of throw, throw a few together. That's what I usually go for. Yeah, yeah. That's for the students, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And rice table is very much for the person who cannot make the choice, which is a lot of people. So it's a good way to get an introduction to the Indonesian food. You have like five different types of meat and four types of veggies. And with nasi ramas, it's two and two. And I like Indonesian food where it's different from other Asian foods is that they cook it much longer. So the older it is, which doesn't sound good, the better it is. Like if it's two days old, it's very good. And when Thai food is always like 10 minutes and you have good food. So it's, it's good. You hear that? So go for Indonesian. The older the food, the better. <laughs> oh, that's great. Cool. So, um, Yodi, I mentioned you're calling in from Harlem. That's the original Harlem. And, you know, we, a lot of Americans might think of Harlem as a northeast uh, Manhattan in New York. But New York used to be called New Amsterdam. So you were speaking of colonies, exploring and um, getting around and claiming and moving into these different places all around the planet. And right there on Manhattan. Manhattan was one a major Dutch colony as well. Yes, it's unfair. It's like three votes or something, and you would have all speak in Dutch right now. Yeah. It would have been so nice. <laughs> but yeah, we were fighting for America for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But sadly, we lost. <laughs> but you're in Harlem in the Netherlands. Um, help us understand, in relation to Amsterdam, where is it? How far away is it? The size? And um, I'd like to begin to get into talking about these two, the big city Amsterdam and the town Harlem, from a tourist perspective here. Let's uh, begin to shift gears. Oh, yes. So Harlem is only 15 minutes away from Amsterdam by train, and it's closer to the ocean. So it's uh, more to the west, and it's smaller. It has only 150,000 people living there, so it feels like a village sometimes, and it's much more relaxed. So growing up here, and I also think for tourists visiting the Netherlands, I think Harlem is a much nicer home base because you can relax here. You can go to the sand dunes, cycle around. And then whenever you want to have the busyness of Amsterdam, it's just a 15 minute train right away. And even if you want to go out, there are always night buses going back to Harlem. So you can kind of escape 
busy Amsterdam and it was really nice growing up because I could always get to the busyness but I didn't always have to be there when Amsterdam especially these days it's getting more touristic and more chaotic and it's and so, is just cute. yeah it's it's kind of like so I always say I'm from Seattle but as you remember I'm actually living in from uh Edmonds you know just a, a sur- suburb just 20 minutes away uh, very similar in that sense and the funny thing is our family when we were all traveling together we would always fly into Schiphol because it has great connections from Seattle and we'd always spend the first few days in Europe in Harlem in my experience as a kid growing up traveling traveling with my dad the first few days were always spending in Harlem and those were always the most miserable days. I was getting over jet lag and <laughs> so confused as to what time is it? Why am I hungry in the middle of the night? And why am I so sleepy in the day? Um, so I'm excited to get back. Like I mentioned, just in, in about a week, I'll be back in Harlem, but after I get over my jet lag. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. So I have my friend Yodi on the line uh, much more when we come back. This episode of Andy Steve's Travel Podcast is brought to you in part by Zenvo Lenses. You can check them out on Amazon.com as well as XENVOPro.com. And that's where they have all the information about these super sweet clip-on wide-angle lenses for your smartphone. It really takes your Instagram game to the next level. And man, I've really enjoyed using it from all over the world and all sorts of formats. On a selfie mode, you can take a super wide-angle photo with fitting in something like 20 people into the shot. Flip it around to the front end, and you can take great interior design options. You can do some great travel shots, panoramas, and more. So be sure to check that out, zenvopro.com, and pick up their $35 lens. We've been working with them for the last year, and I've been blown away by the quality of the product, the quality of the construction, and the durability. Because when you travel, sometimes these things takes a hit and this little lens can clip on and really take your game to the next level check them out all right guys you're listening to the andy steves travel podcast we got yodi on the line i want to talk about um life in amsterdam and the netherlands and harlem i'll keep cycling through those names because i i don't want to leave one out it was just king's day in the netherlands right uh it used to be called queen's day but she has passed on the the crown to the king right uh excuse my my rusty uh dutch (laughs) royalty knowledge but um now it's called king's day can you explain to our listeners What's King's Day and why is it such a big deal in the Netherlands? Well, we basically celebrate the birthday of our king, which is uh, very good that we have royalty in our country. And yeah, so we are not that big a fan of our royalty, like not like England. It's not a big deal. But I think we are happy we have them because they have a very... um, not very political, but more like a network status. Like where sim- they Symbolic? Symbolic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's good to have someone doing the networking and like being the face of your country, not having any influence really. And it's just, it's great. So we celebrate his birthday, the king, and um, he's a real Dutch man. He has a cheese head. Like if you're Dutch, you know what a cheese head is, this big square head. And so he really <laughs> has that. So he's a real symbol of the Dutch. And he's also called King Pils. And um, Pilsener is like beer, so he always loves to drink beer. So I don't know. It's just um, it's a good thing to celebrate. I never really thought, oh, my God, we're going to have a new king. This is going to be great. But three years ago, this happened. And when it happened, I actually I got a little sad. I was like, oh, this is so special and beautiful, which <laughs> was 
Now, um, you mentioned it's on his birthday. If I understand correctly, the two kings ago, it was his birthday, and then he passed it on to the queen, and the queen's birthday is like in February or January, and she's like, I don't want to bring everybody outside on this miserable day, so we'll keep it end of April. And now the current king happens to have his birthday around these dates. Is that is that the case? Yes. Yes, exactly. So our old queen, her birthday was in yeah, February, and her mother's birthday was on the 30th of April. Ah, that's so just right. she just kept it on the 30th of April. But the king, his birthday is on the 27th. I so see. he was like, I want to have it on my real birthday. So he moved it three days up <laughs> to San Forest. They still had the old guidebooks. Um. And then people would want to celebrate this holiday because it's a big deal. Like the whole of Amsterdam is orange, everybody's celebrating. And so the tourists want to come and celebrate with us. And for a few years, then on the 30th, all these tourists would come to Amsterdam in orange. And then people would have to say, sorry, guys, it was three days ago. <laughs> because oh, man. To have a new guidebook. It, it's very important <laughs> to have a new guidebook. Amen. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about how the Dutch actually celebrate King's Day. Because I was fortunate enough to enjoy King's Day in Amsterdam maybe four or five years ago. And it was the wildest party I've ever experienced. But the days yeah. leading up to Queen's Day, I was a little bit curious because Amsterdamers started going out into the sidewalks and marking off about 10 foot by 10 foot squares in duct tape on the sidewalk. And I was like, why is everybody doing this? And can you shed some light on that? Yes. Well, uh, King's Day is also the day where people can sell the stuff they don't want anymore to people who really don't need it, but think they might need it. And then these people who buy it can sell it next year again. So it's kind of, you can go on the streets and you can sell your stuff for free. So yeah, a lot of people collect all the stuff they don't want and uh, then they just sell it. It struck me as so funny because on their national day, so it's basically like our July 4th in a sense, not, not exactly right, but similar. The first half of the day, everybody's just trying to sell their junk and then they pack it all in yeah, and yeah. throw in all their orange gear and then get back out onto the streets and start the party. Uh, at least that's what it seemed like to me. So it was, it was really funny to see that. Of course, that was in Amsterdam. I'm curious, do they um, uh, celebrate it differently um, around the country? Or is it is it still a big kind of junk sale and then a big party? It's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. We used to do it in Harlem all the time. And it's not only selling your junk. It's also like if you're a kid, you try to make money in a other way. So my sister once had a flute and like had a snake attached to it. So she would like do this act and people would throw money in her head. And yeah, it's everywhere. First we sell our junk and then we go party. But also the day before you have King's Night. So a lot of people are already really drunk. Oh, from yeah. King's Night and hangover and... Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a wild day. It was the, the entire city was packed. Um, it's such a big party that the city of Amsterdam is actually deliberately separating the parties rather than having a massive festival like in Dam Square in the very center of the city. They're having, you know, the, the concerts and the events spread out all over town so as to uh, dissipate all the crowds to, to not overwhelm the, the city center. Of course, it is absolutely crazy. And that's probably a good idea because... Uh, um, if you can imagine, everybody throws on as much orange as they have. They accent it with a Dutch flag, red, white, and blue. Um, and they all look super posh and super cool. And they all jump on their riverboats um, and blast the, the loudest
this music that you've ever heard from these open top river boats and everybody's basically playing bumper boats because you can't go anywhere (laughs) the canals are absolutely clogged with these uh with boats of all sizes um and everybody's just having a good time it's it's a good spirit yeah it's great it's it's a big day party so like you gotta pace yourself and if you're thinking about visiting amsterdam and the netherlands over this holiday book way in advance and be prepared be prepared to to shell out because you know uh, the dutch people will are very enterprising they're very entrepreneurial and very uh, good business people so you'll be lucky if you're spending 100 euros a night to to stay somewhere um even hostel dorm beds go for 150 uh regularly so plan ahead make reservations and maybe find cheaper beds out in harlem and commute in for the party maybe that's a good idea yeah that's a great idea and make local friends Stay with your local friends. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, we always like to have friends abroad. So uh, yeah, if you if you're looking for a foreigner friends, the Dutch are the way to go. We we're <laughs> good in making foreigner friends. So yeah, yeah. But I found it once you're in Amsterdam and once you're there visiting, it's not the easiest to meet Dutch. But um, that's just because I think, you know, it's such a touristy city that you kind of live on two different levels almost. You got the tourist kind of track and then you got the Dutch people who live there who are going about their lives along with all the expats that live there in Amsterdam. Um, And so it's people recognize, look, you're only going to be here for four days. I'm not going to, you know, waste my emotional energy becoming friends with you (laughs) sometimes. But the Dutch generally are very, very nice. And as you can see, even with your yourself, Yodi, um, you can hardly pick up an accent at all. How and why is it that Dutch people are so fluent in, in English? And why is it so easy to travel there? Well, as you know, we're cheap, the Dutch. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're one of the only countries, I think, that doesn't do dubbing. Uh, so if you have TV, most countries, they talk over it. And we have subtitles. So from being a child, you wanted to watch TV and you always have Hollywood and, you know, the big movies. You want to watch them. So you keep watching these movies and you listen to it in English. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to follow subtitles when you're a kid. So you just you pick up the language much quicker. So now I think that's happening everywhere in the world because you have Internet, of course. But Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why the Dutch did it. And it's not only because we're cheap and we don't want to pay for (laughs) dubbing, but we're a small country and we're very internationally focused we've always been like that with our colonization and yeah i wanted to be a world power i guess <laughs> uh so yeah it's uh, it's wanting to be part of the world and yeah. not just being this individual country and yeah. not expecting others to speak your language then like why doesn't anybody speak dutch <laughs> no um no that's yeah. that's something that i've noticed uh people from smaller countries and less prominent cultures if i may um uh, often speak two three four languages and they do it really well um how many languages do you speak i speak three fluently ish like german dutch and english and then i'm working on my Italian. There you go. So I can't, I can't save myself in that. <laughs> That's incredible. So you're listening to the Andy Steve's Travel Podcast. Uh, I have my friend Yodi on the line. We're going to be back in just a second. This episode of Andy Steve's Travel is brought to you by Detours. Travel your own way. Detours include your sightseeing and accommodation reservations in each city you're going to, so you can show up and connect the dots at your own pace. Have all the fun, but none of the headache. It's like a guidebook that makes reservations for you, or like a tour without sacrificing any of your independence. 
pick a city and date at andysteves.com, book your detour, and then spend your time on the fun stuff like finding farmers markets and restaurants, bars that you want to go to, because the detour package takes care of everything else. Two nights accommodation and two key sites included. Learn more and book your adventure today at andysteves.com. That's Andy, S-T-E-V-E-S.com. All right, Yodi. Um, what I want to do is talk about how to visit Amsterdam and the Netherlands affordably because uh, Amsterdam is easily one of the most expensive cities in Europe and therefore the world. Um, how can you find a, a affordable place uh, to stay, to eat, to do your thing, to see the key sites? Do you have any tips from a, a local's perspective on um, how people on a budget can really enjoy the Netherlands? Um, that's a good question. Yeah, well, one of them is to book ahead, like you said earlier, and maybe not to want to stay in the center of Amsterdam. We are very good in public transport, so don't be scared of using the tram or the train. So get yourself a little bit outside of the city center or in Harlem, and then you'll find cheaper places. I think Airbnb is now a really good spot to find good rooms mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, get in touch with the locals. What do you think yeah. about uh, north, the north side of Amsterdam? Like across the way. So Amsterdam kind of is, is shaped and maybe a kind of a horseshoe shape, kind of a U shape that just expands out um, south and east and west. And then it, it butts up against the I River. And so just across the I River is another part of Amsterdam, but it's just cut off by water. So it's it's a little bit lagging behind in development relatively. I mean, that's where all the really cool new construction is going on. There's a swing that you can hop on that swings you out um over the ledge of a tall building um there's really cool kind of pop-up cafes and art uh installations so there's a lot of stuff going on in north amsterdam and it might be a cheap neighborhood to to check out and explore as well how about like food and going out amsterdam is a city where you can expect to pay at least 50 cents if not a euro every time you even want to use the bathroom even in bars where you've bought drinks you you still have to pay to use the bathroom so um how can you keep track of these runaway expenses yeah that's a hard one Uh, i even think food is really expensive i think uh one thing that's always nice to do is like my favorite thing when i'm in different countries is just going to a grocery store and get food there and we have this awesome grocery store albert hein which Mm -hmm. has major salads and so that's a nice way to just have a picnic somewhere maybe and bars maybe just not go to the touristy areas Uh, if you go to the jordan area uh, which is very popular. It's for the younger Dutch people. And uh, it's not that touristy. The tourists know about it, but it's not that touristy and it's not that expensive. They have a lot of uh, students, cafes and restaurants as well. So there are a few restaurants that do like student food where you can get food for five euros. So just find the neighborhoods that are located mm-hmm. outside of the center and, and Jordan is good that market you mentioned was Albert Hein H-E-I-J-N right yes yeah and so that's sprinkled all over the city and you can pop in and get um, you know pre-made sushi or sandwiches or snacks and cheese they also sell stroopwafels which is one of my favorite things about the Netherlands are these uh, delicious cookies with um, kind of syrup um, and honey uh, sandwiched by these uh sugar cookies they are delicious but of course i'm sure that's a far cry from actually authentic stroopwafels um where have you had some of your best stroopwafels oh if you're in amsterdam you have to go to the albert kuip like mm-hmm. albert kuip it's c-u 
YP. And that's where uh, you have this big market. It's like cheap clothing and cheap food. And you have uh, the Stroop waffles and also Puffertjes, which is other Dutch, like tiny little pancake. <laughs> they're, they're little uh, yeah. mini pancakes. And they are so much fun to watch being made because they're made in, what would you like? you know, kind of half golf ball sized divots in a pan and that pan is really hot and they drop in the, the batter and then they do it like one after the other really quick. And they wait for two minutes and then they flip them all over really quick. And these guys have been doing it their whole lives. So they got the technique down and it's so just fascinating to watch. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's very tasty with a lot of butter and sugar. And then you can get, of course, Dutch herring there too. So, yeah, mm-hmm. if you want to try the Dutch food, uh, just go to a market. And that's also the cheaper food, I guess. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly. What do you think about uh, De Pipe um, neighborhood? That has been a very trendy and up and coming district. Is it discovered now? Are you uh, in tune with that? Well, most areas in Amsterdam are getting discovered. It's just grow- it's growing very quickly and um, it's popular. It's more of the for the hipster kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of Brooklyn, New York style hipster district. That's De Pipe, um, just south of the Heineken Brewery. There are you know there's just those classic places where you can you, you can pay twelve euro fifty for for avocado toast and stuff like that, and it's just like eh, it's it's really good, but you're also paying for it, and so not not so budget friendly anymore now just a quick run through of the the classic dutch uh treats and food okay so stroopwafels puffertjes uh herring um fabo is a uh, kind of <laughs> coin operated uh burger and french fry joint um so you just pop in your coins uh into a machine and it's like a mcdonald's supply chain on the on the back side of it and the the chefs just drop in these burgers into the little little doors that you can open um what other classically and typically cliche Dutch uh, treats and food should people look out for? Uh, cheese, of course. Oh, of course. Dutch cheese, very important. Uh, the licorice, you have to try some Dutch licorice. Mm. Dutch pancakes as well. Just bigger pancakes than Americans have, and they're just a bit fatter than the crepes uh, from France. And then, like, our typical meals, Dutch meals are not something you find in restaurants because it's mostly mashed potato with some cabbage. Mm-hmm. So that's where you eat Indonesian food. And of course, you have to drink a lot of beer, beer, marijuana. And <laughs> your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Your neighbor. Yeah. yeah. Bitter baller. Bitterballen, oh, bitter yeah, yeah, yeah. But be careful with yeah. bitterballen because it uh, just about every time I burn my mouth, like they come out super hot, and uh, and I always take a bite too early. That's the charm, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bitterballen is is like flash fried a ball of mush. I've never really known what what's actually in bitterballen. Um, does anybody know? Yeah, it's it's mashed potato with like ragu something like ragu like it's beef and spices all right, all right. We, we stole it from france the french had it first now it's good stuff, good stuff um okay so that's good and then uh so those are the typical treats in terms of sites that everybody has to see in amsterdam um you know you got the classic Anne frank house van gogh museum reich's museum the heineken brewery um i actually recommend uh, another brewery in a windmill um out on the east side of town over the heineken uh experience i just find that the heineken experience is hyper commercialized it's just one big heineken commercial and add that to the fact i don't even really like 
kind of can. I just had a hard time when I was going through the experience myself. Um, let's see, Dam Square. You got the Red Light District, of course. What other key sites should people not miss uh, if on a first visit to Amsterdam? Uh, well, a good thing to do is maybe go to uh, the Begeinhof, like one of the hidden places. Like we have a lot of Hofjes gardens that are hidden in the city center. And like the neighborhoods, like the Jordaan, which is the garden area, it's very typical Dutch. And the hidden churches, you have some hidden churches, which are really nice because we, of course, used to be Protestant and then, but it was still allowed because we were tolerant. So we were still allowed to be Catholic as long as you were hiding your faith. So um, it's really fun to look back in history in that way and go to those places. Amsterdam's and a fascinating city. Yeah. And come out to Harlem for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> Harlem's are, uh, Amsterdam's a fascinating city, Harlem as well, because they're so dense. They're just, um, in the States, a lot of American travelers will come, you know, from places where they can spread out, where they have a backyard. But man, in Amsterdam, every single square inch was like, you know, reclaimed from the sea. So, um, it's so dense and you got people living in very compact houses, and, but there's all these kind of hidden paths passageways, like you're saying, hidden churches, little courtyards uh, hidden in back of these homes. That's so such a pleasure to to stumble upon and, and discover. Um, Yoni, thanks so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting a little bit about uh, Dutch history, culture, and these amazing cities. You have a Instagram that you like to share or anything like that? Where can people look you up? Sure. Uh, yes, Yodi Engelsdorf. It's just my name. <laughs> uh, yeah, look me up on Instagram. That's Yo- good. <laughs> Yo- Yodi Engelsdorf. So E N G E L S D O R P. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> and how do you say um, like cheers or or see you later in Dutch? Uh, Dewey. <laughs> Dewey. That's right. <laughs> good stuff. Great to see you, and all the best. And hopefully our paths will cross uh, sometime this summer when we're touring. Yeah. Same here. Thank you for having me it was really fun Amsterdam is an amazing city that never disappoints break out of the red light district and the coffee shops because beyond them outside of the city center is a wonderland of architecture delicious international cuisine and friendly locals fluent in English happy to help if you get lost with Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport being one of Europe's busiest Amsterdam is a great city to touch down in and spend a few days to get over your jet lag no matter where you're headed join me next week as I head to the Holy Land with Kamal Mukarker Kamal is an Orthodox Christian Palestinian he is one of about 1% of the population living in the overwhelmingly Muslim West Bank in Palestine Kamal was the local friend and fixer for in and around Bethlehem when my dad Rick Steves was producing and filming his his Holy Land special TV show. You can check that out at ricksteves.com. In the meantime, here's a preview of next week's episode. I always loved my Bible you know, as a Christian, and I always loved the history of the land. And for me, it was this, this idea of how, how does the history link with the Bible, and does it always fit? Because sometimes you hear archaeology saying different, different things. Learning to be a tour guide in the Holy Land it is not an easy thing. I mean, this is, this is a history of thousands of years. They start with the Stone Age and pre to that even, and there is always history has been happening in the, in the Holy Land. By the way, on this season of Andy Steve's Travel Podcast, I'm working with the team at Podcast and Radio Networks. If you're thinking about starting your own show, they've got just the right people in place to turn your podcasting dreams into broadcasting reality. For more information, check them out at podcastandradio.com. 
You can connect with WSA Europe, Andy's tour company, at WSA Europe on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks again for listening. To find all show details and links to connect with our guest, find it online at andysteves.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.